All right, everybody. Welcome to uh, day two of the Resource Insider Podcast quarantined edition. I am still locked at home. And if you're watching this video on YouTube, you can see I've started to keep track of my uh, capture uh, in the background. We're on day two. And yesterday we had our first conversation with George Salamis, uh, which went very well. And I suggest you check that out if you haven't heard it yet. And today I am sitting down with none other than Rick Rule the CEO of Sprott US Global, and we're going to talk about what's going on in the world, what's going on in the United States, and what it means for the mining sector in general. So, Rick, thanks for uh, taking a few minutes out of your day today. Pleasure. Thank you. This will be an interesting conversation. We're in interesting times. Yes. Uh, you know, may you live in interesting times. And you said before we got on here, you are not in the office these days. You've self-quarantined at home? Correct. I'm a 67-year-old who travels. Uh, I decided to quarantine myself before the firm quarantined me. <laughs> so, when did you? When did you most recently travel? Has it? Have you seen many of the impacts about what's going on at airports uh, across the U.S.? You know, I was at PDAC, the big Toronto conference, and the impact at PDAC was that there were probably six or seven thousand fewer people than they had expected, but it was still a very large conference. Uh, of course, discussion of the coronavirus was front and center at PDAC, although the big, biggest health risk at PDAC was, and still is, alcohol poisoning. Uh, <laughs> these people sought out, uh, not the virus, but that notwithstanding. From there, I went to Vancouver and from there to Washington State and came home. Um, as I understand it, the impacts now are much more severe than when I was traveling, so mercifully, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I was saying earlier, I think I kind of got out as the going was good before uh, most, of the uh, most of the impediments were put in place. But let's start talking more about mining, the economy. What do you, I mean, what is your thesis on what's going on right now from, uh, from the perspective of the mining industry? Is this positive for us? Is this going to be the greatest buying opportunity of our lives or are we in for a lot of pain? Well, I think that the implications for the precious metals sector after 90 days or so of volatility are unfortunately spectacular. Uh, I say unfortunately because the circumstances that causes gold in particular to do well uh, are almost always trying on other parts of our lives and our portfolios. Mm -hmm. um, the markets thus far are acting broadly similarly to the way that they did in the trust and liquidity crisis of 2008. You will notice that many gold aficionados can't believe that gold doesn't go to $3,000 the, <laughs> the day that a market malfunctions. Yeah. But the, the truth is, in a liquidity crisis, everything that has a bid gets sold, uh, and that includes gold. We found the desks, uh, the, the big European trading desks, were reporting to the Sprott desk. We're pretty good size, as you know, in the gold trade. Uh, were reporting to us that there were massive margin calls among the leveraged long commodity trading accounts in gold. And generalist accounts that had some gold that were on margin suffered from margin-related selling as well. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, many people also forget that gold stocks are stocks. And when stocks sell off, gold stocks sell off along with them. 
you may recall uh, in 2008 that the gold stocks as a group uh, immediately after the crisis fell by as much as 30% before they recovered three months later. And my suspicion is that that fall could be exacerbated now because so many of the gold stocks aren't held by gold stock owners, but held rather in ETFs and in particular by leveraged long ETFs like JNUG. So my suspicion is that as an industry and as individuals, uh, we're going to suffer through, if that's the right phrase, or benefit from, depending on your point of view, uh, an awful lot of volatility for the next 90 days. Yeah. My further suspicion, however, is that the, the policy response to the economic crisis that we see uh, will be more debasement of the currency and more artificially lowering of the interest rate. So gold will benefit, first of all, because gold normally benefits when people are afraid of the ongoing purchasing power of their savings. And they will be offered up less competition in safe haven assets by these insanely low interest rates. If you, so to, go ahead. Sorry, Rick. I was going to say, you know, you compared it to the global financial crisis where, you know, quantitative easing or lowering of interest rates. Does the government the U.S. government or, or global government still have the tools to really address this, given what they've been doing the last 10 years? I mean, I've talked to a few people, and, and my kind of view is this is going to be far more widespread than the crisis in 2008. Uh, and, you know, after a decade of quantitative easing and low interest rates, do we, do we have the tools in our toolbox to actually address this now? Or is it going to be a, a much more serious situation in your mind? It depends on who you're addressing it for, Jamie. Uh, okay. I'm, 67. <laughs> I'm 67. I think they can keep it together for me because they'll print a bunch of paper and they'll borrow a bunch of money and they'll spend it now uh, on old folks like me that have voted ourselves all kinds of entitlements and benefits. Yep. Can't fix it for you. Uh, you're truly screwed. Uh, <laughs> So we're, I don't mean to laugh, okay. we're, having, wow. <laughs> we're having a massive intergenerational wealth transfer here from you to me. Uh, uh, well, I object to it, of course, uh, on moral terms. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, the, uh, I see you know, your point. Most, so most of, most of the world, Jamie, wants to believe, wants to have confidence. Most of the world believes that the big thinkers got together and conspired our way out of 2008. Uh, and most people want to believe and so will allow themselves to believe for a while that quantitative easing is not counterfeiting. Uh, most of them will believe that lower interest rates, which amounts really to a war on savers by spenders, is a good thing because there's more spenders than savers. Yeah. Um, now, my suspicion is that enough people will want to believe and enough people will be mollified by liquidity. Believing, which is incorrect, that liquidity is a substitute for solvency, which it is, it is not. My suspicion is that we sort of muddle through this crisis in the near term. Uh, my suspicion, too, is that the policy runs uh, will cause 
real interest in gold as an asset class. Mm -hmm. There's been no need to own gold for many portfolios for two decades as a consequence of the fact that as interest rates continued to fall, the capitalization rates on commercial real estate fell, the cost of capital fell. We were in a really sort of virtuous world, world, except for the fact that, as I say, every time you lower interest rate, you forward shift demand. And eventually you run out of that demand, which is one of the things that's happening now. And to reiterate, what's happening in a very grand scheme is that we're having a massive transfer of wealth and liability, wealth from you to me, and liability from me to you. Um, were I a young person, I would consider that, and I would consider gold's place in my own portfolio. Certainly not as much fun uh, as a consumer good stock or as exciting as Bitcoin, but certainly when younger people understand what's being done to them politically, which by the way, they're demanding, uh, <laughs> one, one must consider gold. And by gold, you actually mean owning physical gold in their portfolio, not just gold, stocks, and equities. I absolutely believe that if you think the gold price is going to go up, that you need to own some gold. I also think that you need to own gold as an insurance asset in your portfolio. Uh, it is very difficult for me to understand any portfolio, in fact, any savings scheme at all, that doesn't have gold associated with it. So what do you think the longer term implications are for someone of my generation? I'm 34 right now. I had this conversation um, with Frank Juster a few weeks ago before this all started to happen. And he was saying he, he liked to reference, you know, the bloody incidents of the past, like the French Revolution or the fall of Rome. And, and, and I asked him, did he think there was a path out of this that didn't have a bloody ending? And, you know, he basically said he hoped so, but he didn't know. Do you think that, you know, in the next 5, 10, 15 years, we're coming up on something like that? Or, you know, are there other tools at our disposal, uh, you know, besides owning gold? That's above my pay grade. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. I'm asking you to speculate, I guess, a lot on that one. Um, you know, if, well, the first thing with regards to your generation is that you're going to have to save yourself individually and not collectively the responsibility for your outcome and your family's outcome, the primary responsibility is you. Uh, everyone wants to offload responsibility on society. I need, I deserve. Mm -hmm. uh, we're coming to a circumstance where all of the claims that society can bear have already been claimed. And everyone, myself, yourself, everyone, uh, is going to have to learn that they need to become individually, not collectively, anti-fragile. Is there a way out? Absolutely. The longest unbroken bull market that any of us will or have observed is the ascent of man. And it's amazing, but individually, uh, we are so creative. We're so determined. We're so brilliant. We're so hardworking that we create enough utility to afford our collective stupidity. <laughs> uh, the state where I live, the People's Republic of California, is an absurd experiment in the destruction of wealth. Uh, we have learned collectively to ruin the best circumstance that has ever existed in the world 
And still, despite this collective skill at self-destruction, this is a society where five or six young kids commandeer a garage in Sunnyvale, California, and out pops Google. Uh, the, if we stop the madness, if we reduced the share of federal, state, and local government from something like 45% of total GDP uh, down to some number that was half of that, we would grow and innovate our way out of this problem in a decade. I just don't know that we'll do it. If you were 25, would you be tying your, uh, sort of tying your wagon to California right now? Or was there somewhere else in the U.S. you'd be more inclined to be the Montana's or the Washington well, State's a little more um, libertarian attitudes, perhaps? The truth is at 67, I'm relocating to the state of Washington. Really? Okay. For many reasons. Uh, were I 25, certainly I would relocate to a technology hub that generated jobs and wealth that was not California. Greater Seattle, Austin, uh, Nashville, uh, Tallahassee. There are plenty of places in the world, while perhaps they are not as attractive as centers of excellence as Silicon Valley, uh, offer a total package of circumstances that are superior to those here in California. So, Rick, what do you do if you're just a lowly Canadian, though, and don't have the option to move <laughs> to Texas? Uh, you know, we're a pretty socialist government across the board in Canada. Do those sort of opportunities exist outside of the U.S., uh, do you think, or that perhaps, are readily perhaps. accessible? Perhaps, but I don't think people will take advantage of it. Uh, the most important thing is to make yourself anti-fragile. Uh, one of the things that I was able to do when I was a young immigrant to Canada many people don't know, but I moved to Canada as an immigrant to go to school in 1970, is I personally saved 10% of every paycheck, paycheck pre-tax, uh, knowing that in order to be a capitalist, I had to have some capital. Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing that people can do, rather than blame the government for their misfortune, is not go to Starbucks, not go to Highs, not drive a Jaguar. The idea is not to appear to be rich, but rather to be rich. Uh, and that starts with savings and investing. And savings uh, involves gold. People who are young and who are your subscribers have an, have an opportunity, if they have some savings, if they have some capital, to speculate with an amount of money that they could afford to lose half of in the mining stock market in the next year, year and a half, or two years, and really set up their capital accounts, their investment accounts, uh, in a way that will serve them for the rest of their career. Certainly, one should take advantage, if one is Canadian, starting out uh, of the various tax-deferred savings programs, the RSPs is an example. Mm -hmm. uh, if one is older and wealthier, one should probably take advantage of, if one's willing to do the work, the tax savings that are uh, associated with flow-through shares. Uh, one of the things about Canada is that there are a lot of tax preferences, uh, ways that one can minimize one's tax through savings and investments in structures that were set up by the government of Canada specifically to facilitate this. 
And so I think you take what advantages are available to yeah. you. So on that note, a lot of my subscribers, a lot of our readers are pretty new to the resource industry in general. Some of them don't have any portfolio in gold or, or any sort of mining stocks or any other resource stocks or uh, physical commodity. If you were starting from scratch today, which I think we are in a very uh, uh, fortuitous time to do that, how would you design a portfolio? That's a great question, Jamie. Now, understand that this, I'm going to answer this from an educational perspective. This should not be, and this should not be viewed as investment advice because I don't know these people individually, and so I can't mm-hmm. answer them for people. But in a very general sense, uh, I believe that you start a gold portfolio with gold, uh, either physical gold, not stored at home, please. Uh, but rather someplace where somebody won't come to visit you who you normally wouldn't invite to lunch. Uh, Either physical gold or an exchange-traded gold product, obviously from my point of view, preferably the Sprott Physical Gold Trust and the Sprott Physical Silver Trust. But the truth is begin your portfolio with gold and then move uh, not to the most speculative gold stocks, but rather the best gold stocks. Jamie, I'm in possession, and I will happily share with your listeners, uh, a stock chart, a 45-year stock chart of the Barron's Gold Mining Index. Uh, And it's interesting to look at an index that goes back that far because it shows you, first of all, how cheap gold stocks are in a historical context. Yeah. The second thing it shows you is the periodicity of the declines the decline that we're in is one of very, very, very long standing historically. But the third thing that's important is that it shows the incredible upside recovery from oversold bottoms. As I read the chart, uh, the recoveries have varied from 150 or 60 percent to 1200 percent over periods of time as short as 17 months and as long as 43 months. And what that teaches you, even as a starting investor, is that you don't have to outperform the index by taking extraordinary risk. If you buy the best of the best, the four or five best gold stocks in the world, if past as prologue, you can expect between 150 and 1,000% return over a period of time as short as a year and a half for as long as four years. Those are extraordinary gains uh, to be sure. So the point of this is that after one has bought such gold as they can afford and feel that they need in savings, buy names like Franco Nevada, Wheaton Precious, Barrick, Agnico Eagle, the best of the best. Don't begin your portfolio with amalgamated moose pasture. (laughs) hoping to get 600% profits by Easter. Uh, Participate in a market that has proven in the past that it can deliver major upside in circumstances like this. Then, after you've bought your insurance, which is gold, and after you've invested in the best of the best, if you can still afford it, if you have enough money left over, money that you can afford to lose 50% of without it changing your decision as to what to have for breakfast, then buy the best of the best juniors, but only if you're prepared to do the work. And by do the work, uh, I want your listeners to assume uh, 
that they need to spend one hour per month for every name that they have in their portfolio. So if they want to have 10 names in their portfolio, they need to spend 10 hours per month reading the annual reports, following the quarterlies, looking at the proxies, looking at the 43101s. If you're going to speculate, this is not a game where you say, got a hunch, bet a bunch. Uh, this is something where you are working to outperform your competitors. Now, I make fun of speculation. As you know, Jamie, all of the money that I now invest sensibly, I speculated, but I didn't speculate nonsensically. <laughs> and I would yeah. to consider the same. Well, what you're saying actually hits very close to home. And, you know, Resource Insider, our product was set up to basically help people do the work on these early stage investments, uh, doing private placements, getting warrants, doing all these things. Uh, and we've had a lot of success with that over the last year. But, you know, we just sent out a note uh, this morning to our, to our members saying, you know, we're going to be shifting away from that for the time being because there's just too many good opportunities in cash flowing profitable companies that I think can double or triple over the next year uh, with no problem and very, very little risk that it doesn't make a lot of sense to be taking, uh, you know, chances at the end of a drill bit at this point when there's just so much low hanging fruit right now. I agree with you. I'm at the point in time in my life where I have lots of surplus capital and I have access to Sprott. I have access to geologists, engineers, financial analysts, all kinds of people to help me make speculative investment decisions. And as capital ironically becomes less available in the junior and hyper junior market, the opportunity set for people like me increases. But yep. it's worth noting uh, that I'm in an unusually fortuitous situation, having 45 years of experience, having access to the research of the Sprout organization, uh, and having patience, being willing to do the work, being in the deal flow. For most people, most people bought the gold narrative and they speculated before they invested. It's not too late to turn that around. There's, if you look at this chart, which I'll make available to your listeners. Yeah, thank you. It is profound, the volatility in the gold stock market and the upside associated with the market as a whole. The idea that for 80% of your portfolio, you aren't looking to capture de-risked beta rather than trying to capture alpha is insane. I would go so far as to say for most people, they should be, they should be happy underperforming the index a little bit, owning the best names, de-risk the beta. Let's say that you only made 150% as opposed to 170% and you took 50 or 60% of the operating risk out of your portfolio, you're crazy not to take that bet. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, Rick, uh, we're coming up on time now, but I wanted to say thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day. Is there anything else that you think people should be thinking of uh, in this time of sort of financial crisis and, and real just global uncertainty? Well, if you'll permit me, uh, I'd like to make an offer to your listeners to help them. Please, yes. Uh, that goes like this. If your listeners will email me personally, my email address for this offer is rankings, R-A-N-K-I-N-G-S. Uh, if they uh, mention your name in the, in the headline, I will send them the 45-year Barron's Gold Mining 
index chart. I will send them a hundred year commodity chart, which is equally enlightening. And if they will include in the text of the email, their natural resource stock holdings, names and symbols, I will rank those holdings one to 10, one being best, 10 being worst, and comment on the holdings where I think I know enough about the companies that my comments mean something, and email them back on an absolutely no obligation basis. Uh, understand, Jamie, and you know me for years, my rankings are very harsh, so subscribers shouldn't have their feelings hurt. Uh, I've given precisely uh, seven one rankings in 35 years of ranking stocks. Uh, so Se seven. Can you tell us what those seven were? Uh, I, I can't, but I can tell you very generally to be a number one ranked stock, I think that the company has to be selling at half its present liquidation value. It has to be adequately capitalized to survive two years. I have to believe that the stock is going to be an 18 month double. And I have to believe that the stock has in a foreseeable commodity price environment, tenfold uh, price escalation potential over five years. The company has to have or have a reasonable pro uh, prospect of uh, developing a tier one asset, a world-class asset, and they have to have tier one tried and tested management teams that own a lot of stock relative to their salaries. Hmm. The last uh, one ranking that I gave was Ivanhoe Mines three or four years ago, where I had Kamoa Kakula, I had Robert Friedland. Uh, importantly, uh, the stock was selling for 63 cents a share, and it had 92 cents a share cash in the treasury. So I had two tier one deposits. I had the best promoter on the planet and I was selling at two thirds of cash. Uh, it was sort of tough to imagine something going wrong in that print. I think that was the time Robert got up on stage and said something along the lines of buy Ivanhoe, you idiots. This is the only chance you're ever going to get in at the same price as me. Lower than him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So and it's what, what's the email address that they can get that at rankings at Ranking, Sprott? Rankings at SprottGlobal.com. R-A-N-K-I-N-G-S at SprottGlobal, S-P-R-O-T-T-G-L-O-B-A-L.com. All right. Thank you very much, Rick. And guys, thanks for listening. I highly recommend you follow up with Rick and take him up on that offer because I think that's going to add a lot of value to you over the coming months. Thanks again, Rick. Thank you, Jamie. It's been a pleasure. Take care.